Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. good to be with you. This week, I was walking around my home, checking out my garden, and I noticed something rather peculiar. Some of my plants were growing in strange postures. We have a Palo Verde right in front of our house, and it's literally growing like this. And what it's doing, it's just looking for light. And that's something that plants do in a natural way. And I, being a total geek, any geeks in the house? I had to go search, why why does this happen? And so for you geek uh, uh, friends, brothers and sisters, I learned that plants uh, have this process called phototropism, which is, is a hormone within the plant itself that essentially drives it to seek for light. And that's a good thing, because if plants did not have that, they would not live. Plants cannot live in total darkness. They need light. Even the lights that are, uh, the plants that are under, they like shade and they like that placement, they still seek for light because it's necessary for their survival. If you were to go to a sunflower field, anybody been to one of those fields where you see, oh yes, they're beautiful, right? If you were to go to this field and you stood there for 24 hours, you would notice something remarkable. You see, young sunflower plants have this process within them, and as they're growing, they literally face east in the morning, And as the sun moves, the sunflower follows the sun all the way to the west. And what's most remarkable is that at night, when there is no sun, the sunflowers turn back towards the east and are ready. So when the sun comes, they're ready for the sunrise. Is that remarkable? This is ingrained in the sunflowers itself. This is basically built in the mechanism of plants and trees. And they are built that way so that they can grow. In fact, once the sunflower grows to full maturity, it actually stays facing east from that point forward so that it would remain warm and it becomes essentially food for bees and it reproduces. So this whole system is intended for the livelihood of the sunflower. Now, in the same way, you and I are hardwired to grow. We have an innate desire within us to grow in all kinds of ways, don't we? We want to grow, obviously, physically when we're little. We want to grow up to be adults. And then when we're adults, we want to be kids again. Not really. But we do want to grow, right? We want to grow in health. We want to grow in wealth. We want to be economically stronger. We want to be psychologically better, emotionally, spiritually. We all have a desire to grow. I think that's why New Year's resolutions are so popular. Why every time there's a new beginning, uh, we kind of want to restart to re-angle, reposition ourselves so that we can grow and get better. That's what we all want. And the reality is whether it's a New Year's or it's your birthday or it's a Monday or it's a morning, every one of those new starts reminds us that we have limited time, don't we? And we want to use every opportunity we can to grow and become the best version of ourselves. That's the desire of every human being. 
And the thing about that is as we begin this series, and this series is all about what we call it becoming you, we must understand that that's a desire that we all have, but you know, there's a lot of competing messages out there about how to become the best version of you. And what we're going to look at today is, is what Scripture tells us, how it is that we can become the best us we can be, the best me we can be. Now, if you uh, spare with me a moment, if you get up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, how many of you did that this morning when you're brushing your teeth and looking at yourself? Do you ever do this? Do you ever look at yourself in the mirror and go, you know, uh, you get past the wrinkles and the blemishes and the hair that's sideways, and you go, you know, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something better. I think I can do better than this. Do you feel that way? That's what we're going to look at this whole series. But we can't just look out there because, or, or look within us, excuse me. We can't just look within us believing that we have all the answers. That's what the world wants to say to us. It's very easy to find online or anywhere else some guru who will say, look within. All your answers are right there, just hidden. You just have to look harder. We actually sometimes have to look outside of us. Like the sunflower has a mechanism to look for light, but it does not produce light. It has to come from outside. And this is a beautiful quote from Einstein. He said this, no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. If we're not the best of ourselves, maybe we need to look someplace else to see how we can become that. The older we get, the more we realize we need some external source to help us, right? And C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, your real self would not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. Who is the him it's referring to? Jesus, yes, in church, always the right answer is Jesus, if you don't know. That's right. Your real self will come when you are looking for him. As we launch on this three-week series, we started today with the words of Paul, who said to us, as we heard uh, Mireo so beautifully read, that we behold the glory of God, and as we look upon God, we are transformed from glory to glory. It's when we behold, when we face, when we look upon God to transform us. And as C.S. Lewis says, to become like him, to become our best us, we must become like Jesus. And you might ask, why do I want to become like Jesus? Especially if you're here and you don't even know Jesus. And you're like, why do I want to do that? What, what is it about Jesus that I should become like him? Let me give you some background. Now, if you have read the daily read with us already, You've already read a little bit of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, where we're told that God created man and woman, humanity, in his image. And it was God's desire that we, humanity and God, would live in perfect peace, perfect harmony with one another. All of our needs being provided by God. And we were given a purpose, a reason to live, a way to live in perfect relationship with God. But we wouldn't keep it that way. By chapter 3, we find out that humanity rebels. And there is something in all of us that desires our own way. That we say, I don't need you, God. I'll do it my way. And when we choose to separate from God, that separation is what the Bible calls sin. But God would not leave us that way. He set in plan in motion a plan to rescue us from ourselves. Because the minute we separate from God, we separate for the very purpose we were created. 
You see, God created us to be a certain way, and when we reject him, we cannot be all that we were created to be. And so he sends Jesus not only to save us from ourselves, but to also model for us who we are supposed to be. So when we look to Jesus, anything that we admire from Jesus, that's what God wants to create in us. That's why we want to become like Jesus. The more we become like him, the more we are and we find our true selves. Now, I want to give you an example of a story of transformation, of how this happens, how God does it in, in people like you and me. And today we're going to learn from two of the most prolific writers of the New Testament. Uh, Now, if you were to count all the Greek words in the original language, you would find out that Luke is the most prolific. He wrote Luke and Acts, and that has the most Greek words. But Paul wrote many letters. And when you add up those letters, he writes, he's the second in the most prolific. And then the Apostle John, also, who wrote the Gospel according to John and several other books, including Revelation, he is a highly prolific writer. These two guys, we're going to learn from Paul and from John today. What does it look like to be transformed into the image of Jesus? The first one we're going to learn from is Paul. Let me tell you about Paul. Paul was born Saul. He was born in a place called, called Tarsus, and this was a very famous city known for its high education. People who came from Tarsus often were Roman citizens who were highly educated. And Paul basically came from a place of privilege. He had the best schools, the best teachers, the best rabbis to learn from. So he he was of the best kind of, of people within that place. He tells us that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was not just a Jew, but he was a Jew. He was a very devoted Jewish man. And he says he came from the tribe of Benjamin, the best tribe of all in his mind. And he's telling us in his own writing how he was zealous for his faith. He so believed in his faith that anyone who said things against his faith, he pursued. And sure enough, we read in a story that one time Paul got to such high places, he was a Pharisee, a type of Jewish person, which was known for reading the scriptures, knowing the scriptures, and policing to make sure everyone understood the scriptures correctly. He was headed to Damascus, a place where there were a lot of people who were talking about Jesus. This man who had come, done many miracles, was sent to the cross to be uh, crucified, and yet he rose again to life. And people saw him, and they watched as he changed people's lives. And now people were following the way, following Jesus. And Paul is like, okay, we're not having that. He was a Jewish man waiting for the Messiah. He did not realize that Jesus was the Messiah. And he goes to this town intending to imprison the Christians. Along the way, a light flashes, and he hears a voice. And and Saul His response is this. He says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the voice says, the one you are persecuting. The men who were traveling with him, they stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink anything. Now, Saul's transformation starts with a very dramatic moment where suddenly his eyes to see the world are shut off so that the eyes of his heart 
could see the true Jesus. And Jesus reveals himself in such a way that Paul saw, becomes Paul. Saul becomes Paul. And his life is completely transformed. In fact, if you read a little bit later in Acts chapter 9, verse 20, it says this. Once he was healed and he could see physically again, it says immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. In other words, in the places of worship for the Jewish people. He said, he is the son of God. He is the Messiah we've been waiting for. My eyes are open. I know who he is now, essentially. And all who heard of him were astonished. Wait, isn't this the same Saul, the, the good Jewish guy who was persecuting those Christians? What's happened to him? That's what has changed so much? His life was transformed by Jesus. You see, God loves you right where you are. You don't have to change to come to God's presence. But believe me, God wants to transform you into the image of Christ. That's what he did for me. And sometimes it has to be in a dramatic way, like in Saul's case. Some of us are a little bit stubborn, you know? I was 40 years old. I was trying to do life my way. And I had the, I am woman, hear me roar. I'm going for it. I'm doing it my way. I'll have my own relationship with God. And I just made a mess. And God had to like break in and change my life. Now, some of you are like me. Maybe some of you are less stubborn than me, but you're still somewhat like me. You kind of like want to do it your way until you realize you can't. And you, end up, you get to the end of your rope, right, sister? Okay, it's okay to talk back to me. This is a conversation, right? Some of you are like, hey, I was, I was a Christian before I even could talk, which is so awesome. This week we were on vacation with our grandkids, and Benjamin, who's five years old, was telling me how he loved Jesus. He was actually writing for me little cards that said, God loves you, Jesus loves you, and now they're in my Bible as my bookmarks. So I, how awesome is that? You know, Benjamin already knows God. He doesn't have to do what I did, wait until I'm 40 and make a mess. And some of you are like that, and that's so, so cool, so awesome. But however it happens, whether it happens at five years old or it happens at 40 or it happens whatever age Paul was, recognize this, it's still a grand miracle from God. It is he that opens our eyes to understand who he is at whatever age it happens. And his plan, once he opens our eyes, is to make us more and more like his son. Paul would say later, I consider all of the things I had garbage compared to now the glory of following Jesus Christ and becoming like him. So if you want to become the best version of you this year, you must become like Jesus. Paul would say to you, if he was standing right here, he would tell you the words that he wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 1. I mean, verse 1. Look how easy that is to remember. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. And this is what he says. Imitate me as I imitate, also imitate Christ. Let's read that together. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. He says, follow me. I am trying to become like Christ, and you should be the same. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't be like the world, but be transformed, transformed, made new, changed by renewing your mind, letting God renew your mind so that you will understand God's perfect will. Let God be the one to transform you. That's the same word used about the process of a, a bug becoming a butterfly, right? A worm becoming a butterfly. 
metamorphosis. Let God transform you into the image of Christ. And that's what he wants to do. You know what the good news is? God wants to do this. Scripture tells us that we are predestined to be transformed into the image of Christ. Those of us who believe are on that path to become like Christ. And God says in Philippians that he will finish the work he begins. Now you might say, wow, he's got a long way to go. Jesus, man, I know we're close to you. I know myself. I know the stuff that I do. That's all right. God's at work in your life. He will continue to do the work until it is finished. He is intent. It is on him, as much as we have our part, it is on him to make us like his son. He takes on that responsibility. And when I became a believer in 2003, I noticed something fairly quickly. I am nowhere close to Jesus. I mean, I was like, man, as I started to learn about Jesus, I started to realize my own brokenness. And one of the places where I have a deep sense of brokenness is I, I had trouble with gratitude. You know, there's a perfectionist in me that always looks for the part that's not right. You know, it's like the kitchen looks good except for that spot. I always pointed it out to everybody. I was the first one to go, well, you know, that's wrong. That's wrong. You don't like me already. That's okay. I didn't like myself either. <laughs> and I decided, okay, that has to change. And I tried my own ways to try to change my critical mind, um, that, this sort of critical mindset that was judgmental and, and always critical. And I realized it was a lacking a heart of gratitude. So in 2005, my New Year's resolution was to ask God to change my heart into a heart of gratitude. I pasted a, a note on my mirror, and that was my prayer every single morning for one year. And I have to tell you, although I, I still have a way to go, right? None of us ever reach until the very end. God's truly changed my heart to the point that now, so many years later, we have a gratitude jar in our kitchen. And at the end of the year, beginning of the year, we read the gratitude things we wrote all year round. In fact, this uh, week, as we were driving back from our trip, we had two of our grandkids in the car with us and the bag of gratitude statements, and we were reading through them. And it was just such a good feeling to see how God has changed me over the years to become a more grateful person. It's just one way. And again, I'm nowhere perfect. I have a long way to go. But I want you to see how God does transform us to become more and more like Christ. And you probably have your own story of how God has changed you in becoming more and more like him. Now, here's the thing. We, in order to be changed into the image of Christ, what is our part, right? God wants to transform us, but what is our part? Do we sit back and go, all right, God, make it happen, right? Do we do that? No, actually, we have a part in it too. Just like the sunflowers, what do they have to do? They have to turn. They have to focus on God. They have to actually put their attention on God, posture themselves to be changed. And so that we're going to learn from the apostle John. John wrote the, the gospel according to John. And when you read this, you'll see something quite interesting. He talks a lot about seeing. He tells us miracles about people who could not see and then could see. And he uses two words in Greek for seeing that in our English translations we miss, which is like, oh, you know, that's why you have to come to church and, and listen to a teacher that went to seminary, because there's some things that we miss, right? Uh, so I want to give you an example of that. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, 
The world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Now, you see two words there, right? One word repeated twice, and that word is see, right? And in English, it seems like the same word. You will not see me, and then you will see me. But in Greek, it's two words. And that is the key to how we are to be transformed into the image of Christ. There's a difference between knowing Jesus, knowing about Jesus, maybe even hanging out with Jesus, and beholding Jesus, understanding who he is, allowing him to make a change in your life, trusting your very life into his hands. Big difference, right? So let me, let me break down these two words. First one is to see. And the way that John shows us this word, which is, uh, I'm really bad at reading in Greek. My Greek professor always said I sounded like a Hispanic trying to read Greek. <laughs> okay, que hablo. So, so, so Latina, okay? So Latina. Anyway, all right, that was a segue. Uh, Greek. Uh, Theorete, that word is used by John to show an inferior kind of seeing. When you read through the Gospels and you look for that word as John is using it, let me give you some examples. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 23, John uses that word of people who saw the signs that Jesus was doing, who could see the miracles that he was doing, but Jesus did not trust them because all they wanted was more miracles. That's all they wanted. They didn't want to know him. They wanted his miracles. In John chapter 4, John tells us about a woman who met Jesus at the well. And he tells us that she could see that he was a prophet. She could see there was something special about Jesus. But he uses this word. Why? Because the woman still did not understand who Jesus was. He had to reveal himself to her. In chapter 6, we see that uh, Jesus made all kinds of miracles, and the multitude misunderstood those miracles, and they wanted to make him into their king. They could see that he was powerful, and they wanted to use the power for their own benefit. They were seen, but not understanding. And lastly, the disciples saw Jesus walking on water. They could see him walking on water. They could see there was something amazingly powerful, wonderful about him. And their response, they were afraid. They did not see Jesus as a rescuer. They were afraid. They did not see well. But John then uses the second word for see, which is where it says, but you will see me again. And that word is orceste. And that word is to look at, but not just to look at, but to understand, to perceive to really grasp what it is that we're looking at. Now, that word, John uses it usually about a promise that God is making to us, that one day we will see him exactly as he is. In chapter 1 of the gospel according to John, the the, um, John the Baptist says this. He goes, I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. I have seen it. And I understand that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah we have been waiting for. Do you see the difference? Not only did he see Jesus, he understood who he was. Jesus said to his disciples, come and you will see. Come, you will see great things. In fact, he tells Nathaniel, you will see greater things. You will not only see, but you will understand greater things. And then um, he says in chapter 16, he says, I will see 
you again. I will see you. To see and behold Jesus is to be seen by him, to be beheld by him. When Jesus looks at you and when he looks at me, he knows you. He knows you better than anyone else. He knows everything that you think, everything that you feel in your heart, every moment that you had alone, and he wants you to know him in the same way. This is why the King James Version often translates that word as behold. We don't use that word, right, in our English language. We don't go around going, behold my Toyota, right? (laughs) We don't go, behold, you know, the target sale of paper towels, You know, don't you know what this means? You know, that's what behold is. There's this grand kind of moment of don't just look, look. In order to become like Jesus, we must behold. We must look and seek to understand who he is. We can't do that alone. Remember the time that Jesus said this, he was promising his followers one would come The Holy Spirit will come. He will be the one who guides you to all understanding. It is the Holy Spirit. It says in John 16, it says, when the the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so in order for us to truly understand who Jesus is, we position ourselves to behold. We seek to, to experience Jesus, but we depend on the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us. Just like the sunflowers, we turn towards the sun, but we depend on the sun to give us life. In this case, not the sun, S-U-N, but the sun, S-O-N, is the one who gives us life. So we behold him. We let him change us from the inside out. You see, Jesus doesn't want to do a little makeover just change your outside. I mean, we work so hard at getting rid of wrinkles and, and gray hair, which, by the way, I do too. I color my hair, so I'm there too with you, you know? We do so many things to try to change the exterior. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want to change the interior. I want to change the core of who you are. I want to make you you, the version that I created you to be. That is what Jesus wants to do. And we must turn to him that he could do that for us, that we might become all that we were designed to be. Now, you know, you think, well, I become a sunflower. Well, kind of, yes, but not every sunflower is the same. Every one of us reflects Jesus to the world in our own unique way. But just like you're all standing looking this way, what if we, in 2019, we made a decision, we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus? We're going to turn towards him, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do, illuminate our understanding of who Jesus is. Now, there's only one way I can think of of doing that. What is the practical takeaway for you? And that is you must be in God's word. It's through God's word that we get to see who Jesus is. In fact, there's a point in the story in John chapter 5 where the religious leaders were trying to get Jesus to be quiet. And and not talk, and not share all his wisdom, and because they thought they knew better. And Jesus says, man, you search all the scriptures. You think you know all the scriptures, but all of it points to me, all of it. The entire Bible points to Jesus. You know, you might say, well, how does the Old Testament point to Jesus? You know, when I became a believer, 
I was reading Deuteronomy chapter 5, chapter 20. Deuteronomy 5, Exodus chapter 20. Let me remember that. Those two chapters have the Ten Commandments. It doesn't say Jesus anywhere in them. You're going, well, how do you find Jesus in that? I remember reading the Ten Commandments and realizing my need for Jesus. It's when I read them and I saw I had broken every single one of God's good commands. And when I saw my brokenness, oh, I saw the need for Jesus. So as we read the scriptures, no matter what you're reading, ask God, reveal to you, Holy Spirit, help me see how does this teach me? How does this help me understand who Jesus is? Do you look for scripture asking, where is Jesus here? Jesus says, I am all over, I'm all over the scriptures. I am being revealed to you as you read. And you might say, oh, but I read it and I don't understand it. It's like, sometimes I read it and it's like blank, nothing happens. Like nothing happens in the brain, nothing happens in the heart. Has that ever happened to you? It's okay. It's okay that it's happened. Sometimes that's the case. Do you think the sunflowers even know what's happening to them when they're facing the sun? Do you think they feel growth per se? Probably many times they don't. But you are growing. He is doing something. Even when you are just reading something, you may not understand. And it's okay that if you have questions that you ask. Again, we're reading the Daily Read, and my daughter was reading it this week. We have a new translation we're using here at the church now, and she's, it reads a little bit differently. She called me, Mom, what does this mean? So I looked it up, and I answered it for her. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask God tough questions. My goodness, I have a, how many of you started reading Job this week? It's like, whoa, I had to listen to that twice. You know, oh, Job, God, what, what is this all about? Where is Jesus in this? It's fine to ask questions, but be in God's word. Put yourself in that posture. Let God, through his word, transform you into who you were created to be. The best version of you is only going to come when you turn your, your life towards Jesus and let him transform you. Now, that's I've been using this illustration of the sunflower as a posture, right? A position that we take. We have to face Jesus and let him change us. And it might seem passive, but it's not passive because sometimes the world is trying to turn, get us to turn other places, don't we? We're always tempted to go elsewhere. Uh, but we, it is a process of trusting God. And our senior pastor, Eric Geiger, he came up with, he did a good video of a different illustration, the illustration of sailing. So if you didn't connect with the illustration of the sunflower, maybe this one will connect. And it's this picture that when we sail, in order for our boat to move, we must position our boat, right, to get the wind to push us forward. That is the representation of the Holy Spirit. So watch this. How does spiritual growth actually work? How does spiritual transformation really take place in your heart? In Southern California, many of us love to be out in the water. I love being out in the water. And there's different ways that people get on the water. For one, people love to go stand up paddleboarding. I, I love stand up paddleboarding. And when you go stand up paddleboarding, there is a ton of work to do. It's actually great exercise, but you're doing a lot of work. You're paddling and pushing, paddling and pushing. And sadly, some people view spiritual growth that way, as if all of the responsibility for you to move forward is on you. If you're gonna grow, it's up to you. And you have to paddle and push and paddle and push to actually grow yourself. But that's not how spiritual growth happens. That's not how God works. 
Others view spiritual transformation the opposite way. They view it like being in a power boat out here in the water, and they don't really do anything. The engine does all of the work. And when the engine does all the work, you just kick back and relax, and you just take it in. And this is not how spiritual transformation happens either, as if we have no responsibility, as if, eh, if God wants to grow me, it's up to him and he can grow me. Spiritual growth, spiritual transformation of your heart actually takes place more like a sailboat. In a sailboat, you aren't the one who makes yourself go. The wind makes you go. But you are responsible to hoist the sails and adjust the sails to put you in the right position to catch the wind and be in partnership with the wind. Jesus said once that the Spirit blows wherever it wants to. Basically that the Holy Spirit of God is like wind and it blows and it moves and He's always working. And our role, our responsibility is to hoist our sails and adjust our sails and put ourselves in the right position for God to grow us. So there's really good news because there's one place we know for sure He always works. He says that His Word never returns void. And so when we submit ourselves to the Scripture, when we place ourselves in submission to the Word of God, we're simultaneously putting ourselves in a position for God to transform us. So when you press in and put yourself in the position underneath the Scripture, you're hoisting your sails so the Spirit of God can blow in your life and move and transform you into the image of His Son. Isn't that beautiful? Earlier, after the first service, a gentleman stopped me and gave me this quote. I want to read it for you. From William Arthur Ward. It says, The pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change. The realist adjusts the sails. Wouldn't it be amazing if this year, our one act as we begin the year is to adjust our sails, to position ourselves, like sunflowers, allowing God to do what only He can do, right? As we take now time to respond to what God has taught us, here at the chapel, we do something quite unique. We actually, we're not done. It's not that this is the end of the service. We have until 12.15. We actually end early enough the teaching portion so you have time to interact with God, to have a dialogue with to respond what he has to say. This building becomes now your space to use as a, a time of prayer and worship, to hear God's voice, to speak back to him. And we do that in various ways. You can just sit there and, and just have a dialogue with God. You don't even have to move if you don't want to. Or you can get up and go to the cross over here on this side of the building where we confess our sin, our brokenness. We give to God, hey, here's an area of my life. Would you transform this, God? Would you, Jesus, make me new? Uh, we come to the candles where we are reminded that Jesus is the light of the world. Life comes through him. And we light them as a message of hope for ourselves and maybe for a loved one. We also have our elder here on this corner and our prayer team around the room with whom you can have a, an individual prayer time. Where together, you can lift your petitions to God. We have the offering boxes. If you're feeling a heart of gratitude today for all that God has done for you, your way of dialogue, of responding to him is to give back from what he has given you and let him use it for his grand purposes. And then 
we come to the table of communion. Perhaps the most powerful symbol for us today of what God intended for us, that he created us to be in perfect relationship with him, but because of our stubbornness, our brokenness, he sent his son who gave his life for us, that the death we deserve, he, he died, and now we live the life he deserves. So the bread, it represents his body, broken up for you and for me, put on a cross, a shameful death. And the cup represents his blood shed for you and I that we now might be made clean. In the eyes of God, because we trust in Jesus, he sees his son. He sees you as righteous and blameless and pure and good and pleasing. We celebrate that every week. We are so grateful for what God has done. And so DK has prepared three beautiful songs for us. Don't walk out the doors. Just take it in. If you have nothing you want to do, just sit and listen to these words. And then we will gather together at the end. and We will worship together as a community the God who's given us so much. So just for a moment, take your time. Decide where you want to be. Get up when you want to. And you can go at any order you want. There's no order. You can go to any of them one of them or none of them. This is your time. I had this thought as a sunflower in the night when there is no sun, turning towards the east in expectation of that life. I don't know if you are here and you're in that dark night and you need help turning that's why our elder and his wife are here, why our prayer team is around the room. If you want some, someone to stand with you as you turn, don't leave without that prayer. Yeah, that's why they're here. They're here to serve you. I just thought that came to my mind, so I think there's probably one of you who needs that. And so as you leave, I want to read to you out of Proverbs today. This is my benediction. It's actually my passage for 2019. Maybe you like it too. Put out your hands to hear God's word as a benediction. My son, my daughter, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to the one whose whole body. Health to one's whole body. Excuse me. This is Proverbs 4, verse 20 through 22. May you go with the peace and the grace and the mercy and the love of Christ. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next week. Amen. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.